Your website is the front door of your business, but the way teams build and optimize is broken. Stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome codependent solutions, there's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I'm talking with Kristen Patrick, who is the head of brand development for PepsiCo. Kristen, hi, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Kristen, let's start off with you sharing a little bit about your current role at PepsiCo. Yeah, so I have um, an interesting role. Uh, When I first got to PepsiCo about five years ago, I was brought on to be the first ever global chief marketing officer for brand Pepsi. And you would think that we would have had a global chief marketing officer for a brand like Pepsi, but I was one of the first. And so after being there for about five years, about a year and a half ago, there was a role created for me that we're calling brand development. And I work across all of the divisions at the company and really kind of focusing on digital strategy, on content development, on long-term brand strategy, the, the uh, forward-thinking content studio is something that I launched and developed, and it's kind of this industry-leading concept. So I love what I'm doing um, because it encompasses creativity and content, and I just feel like it's such an important topic for brands to be thinking about. Oh, that's great. And when you first set out in your career, did you ever envision becoming this CMO slash head of marketing for PepsiCo? You know, um, I always knew that I was going to do something in marketing. Um, I went to law school and immediately after leaving, I went right back into like advertising and marketing. I went to school undergrad in Boston and I worked, always interned in ad agencies and just loved it. Um, You know, for me, marketing is the best of creativity and uh, strategic thinking and analytics. So I feel like this is just a really good place for me to be. And you've spent a lot of time. So that's interesting, first of all, that you went to law school. I want to come back and talk about that. But you've spent a lot of time in the marketing field with a lot of different roles. Can you talk a little bit about your journey? Yeah, I've had kind of, I think, an interesting journey. Um, You know, I wasn't a traditionally trained packaged goods marketer. And so I feel like I kind of took a circuitous route to end up at such a traditional company. I have toggled between the entertainment, fashion, beauty industries, 
and learned a lot, I think, in terms of thinking about brands and building lifestyle brands. And so for me to end up at such a traditional marketing company like PepsiCo, it's kind of in reverse. You know, it would have been nice to have some of the operational experience that I'm gaining from a PepsiCo perhaps earlier in my career. Let's talk about law school for a second. Okay, that is a big jump to go law school and then come back into marketing. What what prompted you to not go into law? Maybe I should ask it that way. Um, You know, in some ways it was, um, I kind of went to a more eclectic, artsy undergrad. And I knew that I wanted to do a, a master's degree of some sort. And I've always been more of a cultural strategist, more of a creative marketing person. And I, I felt like I needed to just hone some of my skills. Like I wanted to, to learn how to write better and to form some of my strategic thinking. And so I decided to go to law school. And when I really started to understand like what you do as a lawyer, it wasn't about getting up and arguing cases and some of the sexier stuff that you see. Um, I really knew that my first passion was marketing. And I, and I learned that from, you know, taking jobs and calls college and working in ad agencies to get extra money to pay for my books in college and and really just was lucky enough to know that that was kind of my first love. You know, I think a lot of people who follow you do know where your last role was. And it's interesting that you use the word sexy. So I'm going to bring it up. Uh, Before you were at Pepsi, you were the CMO of Playboy. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between Playboy and Pepsi? (laughs) Oh my gosh, I don't like I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> Clearly they are two very very different companies and jobs. So, I had been working at William Morris Endeavor for Ari Emanuel and what he wanted to do was to kind of launch a almost like a, a Bain consulting within his within his agency, um, Ari Emanuel's super agent. And so he believed that he sits on top of tons of cultural information, really wanted to connect what he was doing to brands. So we were responsible for consulting and developing strategy for brands like Polaroid and General Motors and Chanel and, and others. And so I was meeting with the CEOs of many different companies and industries. And I had a meeting with the CEO of Playboy and the company had just been taken private. And after I left our discussion, I I couldn't stop thinking about the brand and the business opportunity. And back in the day, Playboy basically was a lifestyle brand before Richard Branson existed or, you know, Hugh Hefner had a television show. He had nightclubs all over the world. He had a magazine and he really kind of back in the 50s was way before his time. And, you know, the first page of Hef's zine said something like, hey, listen, this isn't a brand for everybody. It's a brand for people who want to live life with a little style, put some jazz on the phonograph, eat good food, drink good wine. And it was really a gentleman's cultural brand. And I really, you know, my vision was to take it back to its original concept. And back in the day, Salvador Dali was an art director. And the last interview Martin Luther King Jr. ever gave was in Playboy. So I really felt like there was something interesting there from a business perspective. It was not an easy decision 
to make. You know, I am a girl's girl for sure. I really go out of my way to make sure that I'm, I'm mentoring women and kind of putting them at the forefront. I had to talk to my family about it. You know, I was worried about my daughter. I talked to women I admire to get their perspective. And um, once I kind of reconciled in my mind, you know, what it meant, what it meant for my family and my daughter, I decided to, to take the job. And it was fascinating. I learned a ton. It was one of the more interesting problems to solve. And I was able to connect with some really great thought leaders who helped me pull and call that strategy together. And what I found is that I got some of the best thinkers of the day, including people from universities who thought about uh, millennials and their social lives and, you know, some of the best designers of the time to think about the magazine. And a lot of them just wanted to come on board and do it for free because it's such a fascinating brand. So what then prompted you to go from Playboy to Pepsi? So when I took the role at Playboy, the the deal that I kind of worked out with the CEO was that I would construct a strategy for them and help them get through, you know, at least a couple of years of convincing the board that the brand needed to evolve. And so once we had done that and he got the funding that he needed to go enact some of this stuff, I, I got a phone call from Pepsi, which is a brand that I have always admired and loved. And they were looking for a leader to come on board to, you know, I think the job description said, like, we're looking for a rock star. And, you know, who doesn't want to be a rock star? So I thought, well, this is fascinating. And what they wanted to do was to think differently about the brand and marketing. And they, they wanted somebody who had digital experience, who could think about Pepsi as a lifestyle brand, who'd think very differently about media buys and content. And so it just seemed like a really good fit. And I have been so honored to work on the entire PepsiCo portfolio because I do think that they have such a, an amazing portfolio of, of global brands. Yeah. I have so many questions that are just popping into my head. So I'm going to try to stay focused here, which is very hard for me, by the way. But, <laughs> but you, when you talk about changing the game in doing things a little bit differently. Can you talk a little bit about some of the new thinking that you've brought with you that you've been able to apply that you thought was either successful or maybe even some, some learnings where you tried something and it didn't work? Oh my gosh, I have, I have so many learnings from my time at PepsiCo. And for me, it's been about kind of evolving, I think, my leadership style. PepsiCo is a very democratic company. Decisions are made by the many, not the few. And so it's really about creating a vision, getting others to believe in it, and, you know, really take it and embrace it in their hearts. When I got to PepsiCo, some of the things that I did was, you know, I launched an apparel line, which was really different for the brand. I started to do some fashion partnerships coming out of my background in fashion. We really started to look at content and content creation in a new way. And that's not easy, I think, for an organization to embrace. So I think what I've learned over the years is I've always been a bit of um, somebody who sees the world's very much based on culture and cultural trends. And so just, just kind of bringing some of that thinking to, to PepsiCo and other companies that I've been at over time. 
Yeah. And you used a phrase, quote, the collision between storytelling and digital entertainment. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I find that to be fascinating. Yeah, gosh, it's such an interesting time with regards to, I think, what's happening in marketing, what's happening in the entertainment industry, and what's happening with the way that consumers demand and consume content. So if I um, think about, you know, where we are as marketers, I think that we all have the opportunity to tell um, very deep stories about our brands. I always like to talk about marketing across content, product, and experiences. Like those are kind of my three pillars. And, and that's the way that I think about, you know, how to surround consumers with your brand. And, you know, in today's world, I think there's a real opportunity to tell consumers about parts of your brand that, you know, we normally wouldn't be able to do with just our traditional marketing methodologies. So I think it's a really exciting time for brands to not just talk about functional messaging, but to really connect with consumers in a new way. Um, I think the entertainment industry is in a really interesting state as well, and that leaves a big opportunity for brands. So you have the traditional networks and the traditional studios, um, and then there's this whole genre of smaller digital groups popping up like the Netflixes and the Hulus of the world. And so I think that there's something interesting happening there. Seems like it's very similar to what happened in the music industry maybe about 10 years ago. I think the wild card in that equation is brands and where brands are going to net out. Because for many years, we have been the funders of much of their programming. And then, of course, the third pillar is consumers. And I think consumers demand more of their brands and the type of information that they want from their brands in a, in a new way, because they're always online. They're always looking at your brand. And so that leaves, I think, big demands on companies and, and in terms of how they think about and always on presence. Okay. So usually I, I try to avoid talking about the future until close to the end. I don't know why. Traditionally <laughs> how that goes. But I want to ask you about that now, because then I want to come back and touch on two really important concepts that you mentioned earlier, which is leadership and uh, mentoring, especially being a role model for other women. So let's start with the future. What do you think the future holds for marketing? You know, I think that I'm thinking a lot right now about brand leadership and talent and the type of talent an organization needs. I think that it is a really interesting time to evolve the type of leadership that companies need. I think there's a quandary going on right now between, you know, how much creativity and how much creative you need to keep in a company. I think that there is a big opportunity for brands to really work in new ways with the entertainment industry. I'm absolutely fascinated, and maybe it's just because I I toggle between both coasts. I'm really fascinated with the pockets of creativity and the differences between New York and LA, and some of some of the uh, trends I'm seeing that are popping up out there. And I do know that we need to have an always-on presence for brands. I think we're in the midst of figuring out what organizations need to do to respond to all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, a million questions going off in my head because uh, it's such a 
powerful topic today and, and things are changing rapidly. But let me ask you this. You talked about the difference between the coasts. Can you give a couple examples of what you see as the differences that are you're noticing between, say, New York and L.A.? Yeah, so so it's interesting because I am a New England girl through and through. Grew up in, you know, Western Massachusetts. And so I always thought that L.A. was this, you know, uh, the loose marbles kind of float out to the <laughs> West Coast. And now, and now I've been there for 14 years. And it is such a eclectic mixing pot of cultures, of socioeconomic differences. There's a huge tech scene. And the West Coast has always been a pocket, I would say, of upspringing of trends and and they seem to find and adjust their lifestyles i would say a little bit more readily than things happening on the on the east coast so because of the you know the health and wellness focus out there and it just there's a lot of entrepreneurs and kind of this spirit of um, innovation that I'm really, really seeing and I'm seeing it you know even more so I would say the last like five to seven years. So I'm going to ask a very silly question just because I'm naturally curious since you're in LA. Who's the most interesting celebrity that you've sat next to or seen? <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, you kind of become immune to that, right? You kind of do because it's, it's like your kid is going to school with all of these celebrities and it's just part of like the cultural norm. But it, it's really funny because I remember my daughter, Olivia, was going to school and she was like in first or second grade and we were walking into school and there was like a rock star dad in front of us. And she was like, mama, why does that papa have an earring in his nose? <laughs> um, and, and so it's just, you know, I don't know, it just becomes like commonplace almost. And they're people just like we are, you know, very special people though, who have this kind of need, I think, to share themselves with the world, right? So I'm always very fascinated by people who choose to take a creative path in life. Like I always say that, um, you know, it's easy for some of us to just go and get a paycheck every week, but like to really go and pursue a career in music or to live your inner creative is, I think that's a really cool and tough path to follow. And I'm, I'm a huge admirer of those people. Absolutely. And, you know, celebrities are only celebrities because people look up to them and want to be like them. And, and that's kind of what you are in the marketing world. So you're a celebrity of marketing and a lot of people do look up to you because of everything that you've accomplished. Can you talk a little bit about how you work with those that are aspiring to follow in your path or achieve their own path, but achieve the kind of success that you've had? It's funny because as I get older, I think I've become so much more human and real about the struggles of balancing everything and having it all. And I think back to people who were supportive or difficult, and I really try to kind of give that humanistic advice to my team. I like to lead with an empathetic and kind of real approach to, to business and life. I'm really interested in young women in particular of late been hiring a lot of like women filmmakers and directors to support some of the things that we're looking at. And, you know, I'm not perfect. I've learned a lot about, like I say, how to lead 
And I think one of the key things is that you really need to guide an organization with kind of a velvet touch. And what I mean by that is when you're a thinker who's kind of thinking like five to 10 years out, the rest of the organization might not be there with you yet. And so how do you democratize ideas, not blurt things out in meetings before you've really had the chance to call your vision? And, you know, I've really kind of honed that over the years. And I still don't feel like I'm where I want to be. Personally, in my career, there's so much, so much left to do. And in the meanwhile, if I can help some people kind of move ahead, I don't know, that's for me what it's all about. I always tell people like when you leave an organization or any place you are in the world, think about the impression you want to leave with people. Do you want them to say like, wow, she was really nice. She was respected. Like, what is that impression that you want to make on somebody? And you had mentioned earlier when we were chatting that you are particularly interested in supporting and and helping guide the role of women in business today. Can you talk a little bit more about your thinking on that? Yeah. You know, I feel like women in business play a really interesting role and I feel like the things that we can control, and it's not like, you know, I don't know, as a marketing leader, like you're full of power and, and, uh, and all of that. It's more like there are certain pockets where I can stop and say to myself, okay, how do I help this girl on my team? Or, you know, if I'm making a decision about a director or I'm making a decision about a program, like, is there some a natural bent towards women that I can be supportive of? Like, I do kind of stop and think about those things now. And it's not just because of this movement. Like, I've, I've always been that way. Coming up through the ranks in, in uh, sometimes male-dominated companies, like, you definitely think about those things. And sometimes to me, I, it's about, you know, having smart, good, kind, caring people around you. And like, those are the people, men or women, that I really like to surround myself with. Okay. Well, we are getting close to being out of time. I have just a couple more questions for you. One is, is there a particular role model? I'm sure there have been many in your life that you would say this person really helped shape my thinking or, or caused me to make a pivotal moment in my career? It's funny. Um, I think about this a lot, but really my sole guide in life is my family. And they are the people who guide me, inspire me. My sister is incredibly smart about career choices. Like we talk about everything before I do something um, because she knows the ins and outs of me and my life and my daughter and, you know, some of the decisions that I need to make and watching my dad such a hard worker and incredibly intelligent like that that's really my touchstone and it will always be my touchstone so while there have been people in and out of business who have been amazing to me and who gave me like my first break and i definitely am so grateful for that but it's really my family uh, that's wonderful and i'm sure a lot of people will relate to that as well So before I ask you my last question, I want to open it up to you to share anything in the world that you would want to share with someone that might be listening to this podcast, whether it be a watch out, a tip, a success step they can take. What would you say to the world? You know, 
I think, I think I've learned that um, it's kind of a blending of realism, truly being who you are and embracing that. And by that, I mean, like, find your skill set, like know what you're good at and don't try to be something that you're not. So for me, for a long time, I tried to downplay what a creative person I am. And quite frankly, it's made all the difference in my career. Like, I think I was plucked for, you know, to come to PepsiCo because I am a little bit different than the rest of the people there. And so I, um, I, you know, anybody starting off in their career, like embrace that, embrace that inner thing about yourself because that's what's going to make you stand out. That is such great advice. Okay, so Kristen, my last question for you, and I'm very sad we're out of time, but we are. But if you could be anything in the world, and I cannot wait to hear your answer, other than a CMO or what you're doing today in your professional life, what would you do? There's two things that I would do. One is that I love fashion more than design, more than anything else. And anybody who knows me knows that it is a source of weakness. Um, (laughs) I would love to be the owner of some uber hip boutique. And it would just be so much fun for me to dress women all day and to sit and and talk about shoes. That would probably be my first thing. And uh, the second thing that I would love to do, and, and I think I told you this earlier, is I've always wanted to be a broadcast journalist. I <laughs> um, was just horrible at it, but it still fascinates me. I like to know what makes people tick. And, and so those are the two areas that I would probably naturally move towards. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, one day, if you ever want to, we can roll reverse here and you can interview okay. me and uh, I'll see if I'm able to answer any questions about laughing the whole time. Cause I've never, I just got interviewed the other day for somebody else's podcast and it, it, it's hard being on the hot seat. So good job today. <laughs> nice job to you too. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I wish you all the best success and I cannot wait to see where you go next. Oh, thanks. Likewise. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.